What's up, everyone? It's State of the Revolution, the Michigan Progressive Podcast. Uh, it's me, Benjamin. Uh, today with us, we've got uh, Zach Reinhardt. We've also got Ricky Reynolds. Uh, and joining us in the studio is Carly Hammond, who is a uh, community organizer running for Michigan's 95th State House District. Thanks for joining us, Carly. Thank you so much. I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah. Um, I guess first, let's uh, just start by asking you, uh, you know, where are you from? Uh, why are you uh, Why are you running for office? So the 95th district is out in Saginaw, Michigan. I've lived in Saginaw County pretty much my whole life. Um, I grew up in Frankenmuth, which is a very, very privileged white area, sort of the the I've counterpart. There, yeah. yeah, sort of, sort of the. The Christmas Town USA yes. tourism joint in Michigan, um, very different from a lot of the districts and, and people who I've worked with, areas that I've worked in, um, following uh, following moving out of Frankenmuth, leaving Frankenmuth, and um, all the experiences that I've had after that sort of contrast greatly with the the sort of shrine that places like Frankenmuth set up. So um, it's it's an interesting area. Um, Saginaw County has a lot of firsts that are the worst in Michigan. Uh, we're the, we have the worst health, uh, we have the worst health outcomes in the state. Um, we have some of the lowest per capita income in the state. Um, we also have the highest infant mortality rate in the state of Michigan. Um, there's record disinvestment, um, lack of funding in almost every single area. It's an area that's, that's really, um, forgotten by a lot of state and especially nationwide politicians. Mm. Um, where, where did you want me to go from there? Is like okay. describing how did you, the um, how'd you end up in Saginaw? I mean, I know it's nearby, but do you have family in Saginaw? Oh yeah. So, so Saginaw, there's, that's a description of the County, but it's also, um, the, the sort of the hub of mid Michigan mm -hmm. region. If anybody is, is from the area or knows Saginaw, it's sort of, Either where you go through or you work there or you commute there or you you eat there, you live there. Um, it's it's the central hub of the region. And um, my my dad went to Arthur Hill, which was one of the big high schools there. My mom worked in the city for 35 years. I lived on the outskirts right now. I live in Bridgeport, just south of the uh, just south of the city of Saginaw. Um I'm Bay City Polish variety. Yeah. So, yeah, what's that uh, restaurant in uh, Bay City? Krzyzyk's. Truly, like, the best Polish restaurant I've ever been to, including in Hamtramck. Oh, yeah, if you ever go there for Easter, you have to get advance tickets, like, three years in advance. It's, like, in a house that wow. has, like, an addition built on it. It looks like a house. Yeah. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah, Krzyzyk's. Congratulations. It's a, it, is, it is a staple. <laughs> yeah, and my, my like, my great-great-grandmother moved into Munger and started her own potato farm, mm -hmm. and the house is still there. She had 12 kids. Her kids all had 12 kids, and so I've got, like, 6,000 cousins mm -hmm. um, who are all Republicans. It's really great. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so there's, like, a mix of, like, rural and urban. Um, but but Saginaw has been, uh, it's, it's, it's the place everybody knows. Um, not necessarily the place everybody goes anymore. It sort of has a, a really bad reputation uh, that's seated in a lot of a lot of um, racism. Yeah, I mean Zach and I are from Flint, so like we know. Oh, and yeah. uh, lived in Saginaw for uh, yeah, five years. Saginaw. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, one of the biggest things that uh, kind of defines um, Saginaw is like the the uh, 
uptick in, in gentrification. In fact, it's like it's a common thing in Saginaw to um, talk about the city in terms of which side of the river you're on because absolutely um, being on the wrong side of the river has uh, a lot of negative consequences in, in terms of like over policing, um, poverty, and, and all of these uh, structural problems. So uh, I'm just curious, like, um, what do you? How do you how do you think? I mean, because there's 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 two there's two ways to build a city, in my opinion, uh, especially when you have like a college city like uh, Saginaw. You know, you have some city, uh, places where they put the college um, in the city so that you know the 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 benefits of it can expand to the rest of the city and they can you know um, participate in that you know flourishing economy that it brings. And with Saginaw, uh, Saginaw Valley sits clear on the outside of Saginaw, well away from, uh, you know, the, the black parts of the city, to, yes. to be frank. Um, and you have like this bustling like little economy with like the mall and like, you know, Saginaw Valley and like, you know, Bay and Tidawassee is extremely um, busy mm-hmm. right there. And yes. then the other side of the river is just... So, yes, not... the, the whole... Every single political co- connotation in Saginaw is tied to racism and segregation. That has been that has been a staple since Saginaw was formed. Um, it has a very similar history to Flint in terms of the auto manufacturing industry sort of building up around this area. They're also downriver from um, uh, Midland Dow Chemical. Dow Chemical. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Consumers Energy. Mm-hmm. I actually lived the first five years of my life uh, when I wasn't living in, in Saginaw. I lived in Bay City. Um, that's where my parents had their first house. We lived in a trailer park that was two miles down from um, a coal-fired consumer's energy mm-hmm. plant. Um, so that that all of these these manufacturing facilities have a really big impact if you you know it or you live it. Um, and you're absolutely right in terms of the the how the college and the economy has sort of built up um, separate from Saginaw. Um, it's not unique to Saginaw. This is a big thread in Michigan, and there's there's a long history of having an urban area, um, basically separating off the economic opportunities um, from the urban area, and then allowing the urban area to decay. Meanwhile, it's being used for um, essentially slave wage labor to benefit these other outskirt areas that are usually majority white and have a much higher socioeconomic status. Um, that goes all the way back to the 1940s when Flint wanted, wanted to expand into New Flint. Um, they wanted to annex a very large portion of what sort of the townships had built up um, after the Great Depression caused a huge influx of sort of... Um, uh, just a lot of poor people looking for a job and you know GM had the biggest jobs guarantee in the area at some point Flint had the highest per capita income um, so Flint wanted to expand and and sort of capture all of these people who should really be in the city of Flint mm-hmm. um, but what ended up happening is GM uh, sided with a lot of uh, racists and segregationists who didn't want to see their schools integrated because GM had a monetary value in being able to pick and choose the neighborhoods where they could poison people freely, mm-hmm. um, specifically black neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So they, they teamed up with um, the, the fringe areas, changed the land use laws. So in Michigan, we have a very um, different 
strange relationship between cities and their townships. Mm -hmm. Townships can basically say to a city, you're never going to annex this area. Um, uh, Cities, I believe, can only annex a certain portion of a township for every like 10 years or something. And it has to be put to a vote at the township level. And it's very, it's just very hard to change and and grow your city. Um, That's why we have Detroit and Ferndale. Then you have Mm -hmm. Flint then you have Swartz Creek and you have Lansing and you have East Lansing and you have Saginaw and you have Saginaw Township. Mm-hmm. There are parts of Saginaw Township where like you literally drive from like two blocks from the city, to the township, and suddenly you're going from, you know, rundown homes that have been cut into quarters to rent rooms and then it's mansions. Yeah. Like gated uh, communities. right there on uh, Gratiot Road. Yep. You can go from like where I lived. It was, you know, very, very much working class black neighborhoods and literally three blocks. Once you pass the Saginaw City limit sign, it goes like huge mansions, golf courses. It's just it was it was very stark. It's yes. A, a tale of two cities is is very much at play. In yes, it is. And um, for my district politically. So the 95th and the 94th district make up about 95% of Saginaw County. So essentially it's split between the two. And the 95th district doesn't look gerrymandered when you look at it. Um, but when you zoom out a little bit, you realize that uh, the 95th and the 94th are like a donut in the donut hole. And the 95th is the areas predominantly of um, Bridgeport, the city of Saginaw, and Buena Vista, all lower income, high poverty areas. Um, and then surrounding that, it connects Chessening, Freeland, Hemlock, Saginaw Township, and Frankenmuth mm-hmm. all the way around. And we were decided in that federal lawsuit. Uh, I think it was a year or two ago that um, we did have historic gerrymandering here and they, they were going to redraw the lines, but then the Supreme Court turned down all that stuff. So mm. um, not only do they have, you know, vastly different economic outcomes, but they have different political representation and it's an, it's absolutely intentional. Um, and when you have a, a packed democratic district like Saginaw, you take away a lot of voices because the Democratic Party statewide has um, limited resources, and they focus on areas where it's purple. They focus on Macomb County and Oakland County. And there's a lot of um, disinvestment monetarily and politically. Most people in Saginaw don't feel listened to. They don't feel represented. They don't see themselves in the political process. And in 2016, um, you know, we'd voted for, for Democrats, uh, presidential Democrats for a long time, Union Town. Uh, we pivoted from voting for Obama twice to voting for Trump um, in, in Saginaw County because a lot of Democrats stayed home. A lot of people tell me that they don't vote because why would I? It doesn't make a difference. If the Democrats win, guess what? I'm still homeless. I'm still in poverty. I'm still struggling to get by every single day. Um, I'm still seeing, you know, the 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 township mentality encroaching on the city. I'm still seeing people getting kicked out of their homes to make way for these high rise developments that don't do anything for the people who live there. Mm -hmm. So people are angry. um, But when they feel that they can do nothing with their anger, they check out. And that's what we're dealing with in Saginaw. So um, part of your uh, platform uh, is something about a neighborhoods first. 
Uh, I, could you explain that a little bit and tell us what that is? Yeah. So the the first thing I always have on my card is is people over profit, just because I don't trust any candidate that doesn't immediately recognize that our political system is broken, that our politics are corrupt. And if you're in Lansing, if you're a corporation or a rich individual, you get what you want. If you're anybody else, you don't. So that's that's what I always start off with. But from there, neighborhoods first uh, means investing in our schools, roads, public infrastructure, in people who live there right now first. Because if you spend any amount of time at all in Lansing, um, you'll soon come to realize that there there's a lot of neoliberalism. Um, there's a lot of people who think that in order to create a better economy, um, with less poor people, you uh, pay off corporations to come into your town and create more jobs, and that's what's going to fix things. Uh, so we give enormous amounts of tax breaks, credits, abatements, um, just just tax cuts in general, and grant money to corporations. Sometimes we build their buildings for them in order to sort of usher in the the capital D downtown, you know, sort of uh, millennial attraction approach where they're, they're trying to capture all of the high earning millennials, which I don't even know where they exist. I, are those a thing? I, yeah. I, I maybe in Grand Rapids. I've like met unicorns. a few. Yeah. yeah like I've I, heard about them, but I don't think they're real. Like the millennials who have the, you know, the money from their parents to be able to afford a home, but they just want an apartment so that, you know, they don't have to worry about mowing the lawn. <laughs> like, you know, yes, both of them that live in Michigan. Um, so you see us essentially saying, let's get more jobs. But in order to do that, we're just going to give corporations this money. And oh, no, we don't have the money because we already cut the taxes. So where do we go? And then they steal from the school aid fund. Then they steal from the road fund. Yeah. And it was, uh, I, I, you know, you talk about funding and, you know, talk about like, because, you know, when you know, I was talking about the problem of having, um, like the Saginaw Valley be so disconnected from the actual city. And, you know, obviously, uh, when in, uh, 2018, um, when we voted on marijuana legalization, uh, the 95th voted overwhelmingly in favor. And I, I, you know, the city council, uh, voted to not allow for, um, rec dispensaries and, uh, places like that to come in. And it's just incredibly disappointing because, you know, you'll, you'll see these politicians complain about funding and not having funding, but then when they have the opportunity and overwhelmingly approval from the people to create this funding, I mean, I would love to see an ordinance in Saginaw where, um, these shops can open up, but they can only open up on the other side of the river. Make people drive across the river. Like I think that would be great, and it bring uh, economic opportunity to that side of town, and it needs to happen. So it's very I mean, great to get those college kids to drive over there. Absolutely, you know? and it's it's very interesting that you bring that up because I actually just went to a planning meeting um, for that issue specifically, and um, it, for the city of Saginaw, and. So there's a couple things that go into that discussion in Saginaw specifically, which is that um, the Saginaw City Council has a, a, a mayor week and council week set up where a lot of the council members, they, they don't really get paid at all for their positions. Um, they're, I think their council meetings are once every other week, and it, they're very uninvolved in a lot of the processes of drafting ordinances. So who really has the power in a system like that are the people who are paid to be there full time, the people who have the power to hire and fire staff, to put together reports, to gather data sets, to meet with all the other commissions and committees, uh, the people who are investing the most amount of time and get money back for it. And that's the people like the city manager people like the city attorney, um, and also a lot of the uh, 
business owners in downtown areas who oftentimes get tax breaks themselves to create a certain aesthetic that they want to in downtown areas. And they also have the time to be on a lot of these planning commissions and downtown development authority committees. So what happens there is you see this joining of forces between people who want to keep downtown white um, and people who just don't believe that marijuana should be sold anywhere in Saginaw. Um, so it's, it's interesting because they, they actually did, um, cut out the entire downtown area from any potential legalized marijuana businesses. They sell, they sell alcohol in that area. Basically the complete opposite of what they should be doing. Yes. And they also are planning on banning micro businesses. Um, and so they, they basically said, you know, we only want a certain kind of pot shop going in Saginaw and it can only be in these very limited areas that are zoned industrial. Um, and we cut out the mixed use areas because they're, you know, zoned residential enough for us to not have them there. It's, it's, it's just very strange how they, how they phrased that, but you know, Anybody who's who's lived in Saginaw for more than a month will tell you that it's yeah it's to keep the brown people out. Um, and I know you meant, uh, briefly mentioned before like policing in certain areas. Absolutely, like I hear so many stories um, in, in Saginaw. There there are a lot of areas of concentrated poverty, specifically on the south side, southeast side. Um, there is uh, there are quite a few townhome developments where there's uh over a thousand people living in one townhome arena it's all gated there's one way in one way out and i hear stories all the time of people having cops just sit at the entrance and run people's plates uh try to get warrants for people they'll arrest them for minor offenses that they should just be issuing tickets for um and then filling up the jail that way so it, you know it's it's and they have a tank they, they also have a helicopter. Yeah, a tank oh. and a, it's like a full-on like. And the helicopter regularly goes out. Not yeah, not when they have a call flying. that they need a helicopter, but it's just it's constantly just, flying. It's just there to t pose on the entire population. They just want to play with their helicopter. Yeah. Yes. So, so you're saying that you know um, this disinvestment leads to you know they're leeching money from the schools, but it sounds like they have a really well-funded police force. Are the cops, are the cop lobby out there asking for more money? Are they, is there like a sense that, you know, is there a demand for, you know, more, more police? Um, are they politicizing that in any way? Because it sounds like they have a lot of money. Uh, but my experience is that they always ask for more money. So really, really the, the, the definition of they is, is really important because the city of Saginaw is experiencing a lot of extreme budgetary constraints um, because the tax money isn't going to the city. It's going to the township because um, the people who, who work in the city at the hospitals don't live in the city. Mm -hmm. The people who live in the city don't work in the city. They're working in the townships for minimum wage jobs at, mm. at uh, uh, you know, your TJ Maxx. Mm -hmm. No, we, we don't have a TJ Maxx. We're not that cool. Um, at at uh, the one Panera and the, the three Starbucks. Um, they're, the, they're the low wage labor or they're working food service at at SVSU at the college mm -hmm. um so there there is in in the city there's a big disparity between i know like what what cops get paid in the mm -hmm. city versus in the township and and need and service
services and who gets what. Um, There's a lot of overlap, too. They rely heavily on, like, uh, the uh, county police and the state police as well. There's a huge... Saginaw has a really big, big police presence, actually. It just kind of... It's very shocking. I mean, I guess for me it was, because, like, I went from, like, going from Flint, which has very little police presence, well, depending on where you're at, but... On a, on a whole, pretty low police presence as opposed to yeah. Saginaw. And there are, I know there are a lot of police partnerships, like inter-department police partnerships for certain things. So if you call, you know, if you call the cops for a certain, certain reason, someone broke into your home on the east side, it might take them three hours to respond. But, you know, driving on the way home, you'll see a state cop, a township cop, and a um Probably not a city cop, but but a lot of state cops around, you know, pulling people over and and searching people's cars. Um, so it's in in a lot of those programs are written for certain cops to be doing certain things. Yeah. And I'm not exactly, I'm not very well researched on that, but but I know tangentially um, from from working with different municipalities in different cities that there is a lot of those partnerships that go on. Um, I know they did a lot of that in Flint as well, um, with, with the state cops doing a certain, doing certain things. And in Detroit, of course, that created a way worse issues because Detroit city police have been at least trying to do more community policing, but then the state cops come in, uh, tase a guy riding his ATV and he crashes into a truck and dies, um, because the state cops don't have that sort of, they, they don't, they don't live in the community. They're, you know, they're just not part of it. Yeah. They don't have that prerogative. So what's your, what is your, at the state level, what is your position on policing? What do you, what would you like to see? Um, I would like to see a, a lot more, um, honestly, the first thing that came to my mind is department to department, more equal pay. Because you see certain kinds of police aggregating towards certain areas because the pay can be so different from precinct to precinct. Um, but also demilitarization of course, you should not be driving around a helicopter in a city where you have the highest infant mortality rate, where I hear stories all the time of people going to emergency rooms and dying in the emergency room because they didn't have health care. They waited for the last second to go get help. And then the waiting room was so full and they were so understaffed that they couldn't do anything. Um, Saginaw also has to deal with a lot of rural counties surrounding it, depending on it for resources. Um, but again, that the, the resources aren't allocated in that way. Um, but specifically for policing, I, yeah, I'd like to see obviously more community policing practices more because, because, you know, a few years ago uh, there was a national story is the Milton hall shooting where there was a man in a parking lot mentally ill, known to the community. Everybody knew who he was, um, you know, periodically homeless, uh, like I said, me- mentally ill. Um, so getting, getting services is difficult. And he, someone called the cops said he was, he was, um, being a, a nuisance or yeah, a nuisance. A s- he was being erratic. He yes. Was, you know, cause I mean, he was a homeless man and like, yeah. You know, like he would obviously, as many homeless people do, they, uh, you know, resort to like alcohol. So like, you know, he probably was drinking, but yeah. But what happened, what happened was he, um, he was in a parking lot and there's a video and there's, there's audio recording. So you can see and hear what happens. And there's six police officers and a dog, a police dog 
and they're surrounding him with their guns with their guns drawn in a semicircle, slowly advancing towards him like they're the SWAT team and they're about to kick down a door and Osama bin Laden is on the other side. And he's obviously very threatened and you can't really see what he has in his hand. Uh, some people said it was a pen knife. Some people said it was a McDonald's, like a plastic knife. And um, the, the, the dog is like straining to, to get at him. Um, and they, they shot him 47 times, him. 47 shots. They I, kept firing when he hit the ground and they, they dragged his body. I, they dragged his body and they said their defense was that they feared for the safety of the dog. Fucking Christ. First of all, like dogs are over. Um, no offense. So I like the metaphor that you use there in part because when we talk about demilitarization of the police, we don't just mean that the cops shouldn't have tanks. We mean it's tactical too, right? Everything you just described, that was that was the militariz- militarization of the cops, right? Those sort Complete of Complete opposite of de-escalation. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, like, exactly. Yeah, um, that was not what, what he needed. And, and you know, you do get a lot of police officers, and there are some in Saginaw who go to the community and say, hey, um, we shouldn't have to be doing this. Um, we're not trained to deal with mentally ill people. We want mental health services. Uh, you want mental health services. The, and, and sometimes they say the problem isn't us. The problem is the state not, not getting right. mental health resources. But, but I, I understand that, that a lot of these cop calls are for people who there's, there, you know, there's someone, uh, going out into the street, waving at cars. They're afraid for their safety. They're afraid for everyone's safety. And that should not be, have to be a police officer who has to go in and, 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 and take care of that person. Cause they need care. Mm-hmm. They don't need policing. They need care. Um, and it's, it's, it's really, I mean, it was, was it in the Engler administration, mm-hmm. Engler administration, sorry, yeah, where, where they, they cut out the rest of the, Mental, mental, uh, yeah, inpatient. All, the, all the mental hospitals in the entire state were shut down yeah. and defunded. Yeah. They said, we don't, we don't have the money for that. And but, but the thing is, the thing is, then is our, then our jail population skyrocketed. Yes. Same, same in Saginaw as well. Um, and the thing is about neighborhoods first and, and, and tying this into to all of these issues is that we don't have a scarcity problem in the state of Michigan with our resources. We have a priorities problem. Mm-hmm. We have money for this, but we don't have money for this. And in Saginaw, you'll see stories about this business getting that tax break and this business getting that tax break. Uh, Next year is one of the largest employers in Saginaw, um, soon to not be, because they have had a hiring freeze for three years. Uh, They're laying off employees by the hundreds. There's talks of their plant moving to Mexico. And um, in 2009, so height of the recession, Keep that in your head. Uh, they went to the township and they went to the state and they said, hey, guess what? Um, yeah, that'd be really shame. That'd be a shame if, if we had to move our plant to Mexico and, and yeah, get all these jobs. But you know, if, if we had a tax break, you know, we, we'd really be able to to be here for, quote, the next hundred years. So they got a 70 million dollars. Uh, in a tax credit from the state of Michigan, uh, they had their taxable income level frozen at a certain value. Um, and then they also got a 100% tax abatement from the township on, on new equipment, um, and a lot of other riders and, and tax credits and tax abatements that worked with one another. And now, they're gonna uh, move 10 anyways. years later, they're, 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 um, scaling back. They're shutting down. 
they're laying people off, and no one is asking them to give back those tax credits. And this happens again and again and again in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Because when, when you're a corporation, corporations, there's, there's study after study about this. If you're a corporation and you actually want to invest in a community, you're looking at infrastructure, you're looking at schools, you're looking at roads, you're looking at housing market, you're looking at safety. And so, so if you have none of those things, and you are offering tax credits, you're going to attract the corporations who are going to predatorily take your tax credits to make them as much money as possible in a short amount of time as possible, and they already have their exit plan in their back pocket. Yeah. I mean, I think AOC kind of proved that, you know, with the uh, Amazon thing. You know, Amazon wanted to be there regardless of whether they got a tax credit, but if they could get a tax credit, you're damn right they're going to take it. So it's, just, it's this idea that, like, are, you know, these, these uh, corporations need to be asked, are you here to invest in our community or aren't you? Yeah. Are you going to be sustainable or not? And if you're not, we'll take our money back, please. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that should be in the conversation. You know, there's, there's a difference between just giving some, there's a difference between just giving someone a tax break and having community partnership agreements is mm-hmm. what more so we're talking about. But there, unfortunately, are a lot more upcoming politicians, obviously not in the progressive area, um, but a lot more upcoming politicians who want to jump on that sinking, sinking ship than people who want to leave. They see the evidence, but they're scared to call it corporations. They're scared to call up the political patriarchy, um, and they would rather go down with that ship than, than you know, try to get people together and do something about it. And what I say to those people is, you know, if you really think that, you know, manufacturing jobs are going to come back to this area by you, you know, baiting them with a carrot, um, you're going to have to get in line behind 12,000 other municipalities across the Midwest who are trying to do the exact same thing. And if you think Saginaw is at the front of that line, you are greatly mistaken. Because we have been disinvesting from our roads, from our schools, for dec- for generations. Mm-hmm. Generations. And a lot of people remember when, when Saginaw, especially the schools, used to be the best, one of the best. One of the best you could send your kids to. What happened since, since you know, back then and now is, is of course, <laughs> the manufacturing jobs went to where it was cheaper. NAFTA happened. But also, there was still segregation at the time. There was never equal opportunity in the city. Um, there, it's it's just frustrating, frustrating when when you are working in these areas and trying to work on improvements and change, and there are still so many people who say, well, all we have to do is just go back to what we did before, and they will give they they will shut down schools and have roads deteriorating and bridges crumbling before they recognize that we can't bring back the past. We have to take risks and we have to live boldly, demand better from our elected officials and forge a better future future that's more equitable for everybody. Yeah, I agree. I'm just thinking about that $70 million tax break and how great that would be for businesses like Fuzzies or like Spats, all of these local businesses Absolutely. that definitely need support. Because I remember one of the worst things about being in Land- or in Saginaw, rather, was the... Uh, just how how every how everything was so corporate. You could there's there was there's very little uh like small businesses and entrepreneurship going yeah. on in Saginaw. It's all it's all corporate. You you know, you, if you want to go out to eat, you have to go to like TGI Fridays or Applebee's or you know, one of these corporate chains. There's not very many um local restaurants and things like that. And uh, so like to see like a seventy million dollar tax break going to these places when, you know, there's room for like small businesses to flourish or should be flourishing instead of these corporations. It's sad. It is. It is very sad, especially when you think about the opportunities for people locally, um, because you've, you've shut down their schools, 
you've hurt their transportation ability. I think there was worse roads than Flint Road until I moved to Saginaw. I was like, roads can't get worse than they are in Flint. And I moved to Saginaw. I was like, holy shit. My poor car. Me? My poor car. I, it's bottomed out so many times. And prayers, your car. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, and actually, I just... In Bridgeport Township, I was just on the worst road that I have ever experienced. Like my car almost sank because there was there was a puddle and I didn't know how big it was. And I realized it was like four and a half feet deep and about eight feet long. Um, and, and my I almost couldn't get my car out. I got stuck um, multiple times on the same road. And it's 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 strategic disinvestment. Because they're focusing their investment on areas and things that benefit the corporate class, that benefit the political elite. And in Saginaw, there is this coordinated effort where it's it's just it's a mixture of corporate paternalism on the people who live in Saginaw and gaslighting. Um, because if you have these, you know, organizations that quote unquote care about you and are fighting for the right thing, well, why are you complaining? Stop complaining. Well, why don't you just go over into this, uh, to this group that's trying to solve homelessness and, you know, ask them about, about your, your struggles with being homeless. Um, or, you know, well, well, why don't you go to city council and tell them your issues where to even speak at city council, you have to call at least 24 hours in advance and tell them specifically in person, live on the phone. You cannot leave a message um, about what specifically on the agenda you are there to discuss. And then when you're at that meeting, the city council does not respond to people. Um, they speak, they let everybody speak, and then they do their regular order of business. And it's only towards the middle or end of their, their city council meetings that they will, if, if they even do, address the people who talk to them during the council meeting. There's a very big disconnect. They do the same thing at the like county the local, level as well. The local government has like little to no connection with the community in Saginaw. I remember I went to the um, the Saginaw uh, Dems meeting when I was up there, and I was like appalled because it was like basically four people in a room. They have they have a painted life size portrait of Joe Biden in their bathroom. Uh, Fucking what? That's a good place and to put it. And he's man spreading. <laughs> that's a really good place to put it. And it's like on the opposite wall of a full size mirror. When like you're washing your hands at the sink, I feel like he's just going to reach out and like, grab my shoulders or like bite my finger. But really, vape <laughs> your hair. People, well, also like a, a, a lot of Saginaw County Democrats ask me, Carly, you're a young person. How do we get more young people? I'm like, you might as well start by carting out Joe Biden from the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. I, I was asked that question so many times. And it, it was one of those things where it kind of like. so confused. It's like, oh, just do this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, well, we don't want to do that. <laughs> and it's just like, well, then you're not going to get young people. I'm sorry. And, they, um, and, and, you know, coming from community organizing, it is so deeply ingrained that sometimes I forget that there are a lot of people who have been doing capital D Democratic Party work for a long time that don't realize that what gets people from being, you know, just, just, somebody busy with her daily lives and, and transforming them into someone who's who's a, a door knocker or someone who's phone banking or running for office themselves it starts the story it starts with personal connection it starts with seeing their suffering validating it creating a space for them to share it and grow there's a lot of people who don't understand that they say well well why don't these people in Saginaw come and knock doors with us have you talked to them about poverty have you asked them what how they feel when you know, you know, their their elected officials sell them out. 
when they relocate, uh, there's a big thing right now about the Saginaw County Animal Shelter that the county passed. It was planned to go in the city of Saginaw, and they moved it to the township. Why? Because people were scared about safety. And I just did air quotes there. <laughs> Once again, dogs are canceled. <laughs> Uh, well, honestly, one of the, uh, it was hilarious. One of the county commissioners, Republican county commissioner, um, was caught on tape because a lot of people came to that county commissioner meeting. So the, the local news shut up, showed up and were live streaming and they caught her on tape saying, um, well, why are we spending $11 million on what? Pit bulls to save pit bulls. Why don't we, she's like, why don't we spend that money to open up a business about animals that people actually care about? Oh no. She's like, well, well, why don't, if that space is so great, why don't we use it and give it to some manufacturing industry to give people real jobs? So there, there is a lot of people and politicians who want to try to control Saginaw with, again, this, this moral paternalism, this, I know what's best for you. And you obviously don't know what's best for you. And Lansing is a lot of the same because especially the way we've set up our public assistance programs, the way that people are expected to jump through hoops to get things like Medicaid, where if you don't have it, uh, congratulations, you're going to die because you can't see a doctor. You can't get your medicine for you or your kids. And now we have Medicaid work requirements and those have to like buttress in with section eight and food stamps. And so you can't make too much money to, you know, get kicked off Medicaid, but you have to work so much that you have to qualify for it. So now these establishment uh, people have essentially said that you are only worth the job that you have. And the job that we think you should have is one where you're making less than $13 an hour because if you make more than that we're going to kick you off. Yeah, that's always been like one of my like most maddening things about the way that we do assistance is that it's like all or nothing and it doesn't actually like promote the idea. Like I mean, I'm sure that like some of these people would love to go out and like, you know, like work more and do that, but at the same time they're not going to risk their health care to do it. Like so I mean, this idea that it's like all or nothing. If you make, if you're over this line, you're completely cut off from Medicaid as opposed to, you know, if you're over this line, you know, your benefits are slightly decreased. You have to pay, you know, a small, I don't think you should pay for anything for healthcare, but you know, like this idea that like it all or nothing benefits just, it's really, it's really dumb. Also, um, the priorities are, are really messed up because, um, for myself personally, if, if I was pregnant, I'd qualify for Medicaid, but because I'm not, I don't. Um, there's about a seven to $8,000 difference there if your fetus is active in growing cells versus if it's not. Um, which of course you're like, well, of course pregnant women should have health care, but it's like, what are, what are you, what are you saying to me as the state of Michigan? What are you telling me that they believe certain people and certain priorities? And I've, I've heard this from so many people. They describe this as, I feel like these people want me to live in this certain box of, of somebody that I'm not. And they want to try to make me into this product that I'm not. And it's because the laws are being written by people who've never had to deal with this. Mm -hmm. They've never met people who've had to deal with this. And if they have, they, they of course think of the welfare Queens. Um, and, and they've successfully created this narrative and fed it to the public of, if you're on public assistance, you're a sucker that, well, you know, I think some people deserve health care, but there's people who abuse the system. Mm, abusing, yeah, abusing health care. Uh, <laughs> how about, I... about health care is a human right and yeah. everybody deserves it by the fact that they're a human being? And it's... 
You just, There's one you, thing I love. It's abusing healthcare and going to the hospital oh, yeah. to get drugs that I need for I, sicknesses that I have. I can't even tell you how many flu shots I've stolen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just I, I want to shift. I want to shift gears here real quick. Um, one of the things that uh, you're advocating in your campaign is a green new Michigan. So I'd like you to talk about what that entails uh, for Michigan at the state level, and maybe if you can, maybe talk about. Um, how it would differ from or maybe even work in tandem with a federal Green New Deal that's, you know, being proposed by candidates like Bernie Sanders. Yeah. So obviously, um, Green New Deal is is a federal program. So a lot of those things don't really translate to a state level. However, the sentiment is certainly there. And there is a lot that Michigan can do to get better about our environment. Um, so I, I started my political career in not really career because it was volunteer um, in, in Flint um, right. with with uh, working with our water crisis. And a lot of times that, that's part of the reason I'm, I'm targeting the state legislature, because they were the people who I had to come up against time and time again was state laws, state regulatory bodies that were th- their operations were written by the state legislature, legislators and staffers themselves who are just absolutely terrible to work with. They had so much entitlement so much entitlement. And I I literally had staffers tell me, um, well, in in a room full of people from Flint, uh, well, if you people voted more, maybe you could change some things. And, oh, I'm so, you know, pat on the head. I'm so glad you guys are here today caring about this issue, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) And by the way, the issue that we were there to talk about that day in particular was a package of bills that would have required lead testing in schools. Because currently we don't test schools for lead at all. Um, the schools can voluntarily pay and test their water for lead, but the schools that have the resources to be able to test are probably not the schools that have a problem. Yeah. I was going to say, with, with, with what money? Exactly. <laughs> right. And and just, was it a year and a half ago where they got around to testing some of Detroit schools and they had to shut down, shut them down for four and a half weeks because they found out that their lead levels in the schools were astronomically high. Um, cause they had lead, lead piping and lead soldering and lead fixtures. But, but anyway, um, something that I learned a lot about in Flint was, was the lack of, of regulation, the lack of teeth that our regulatory bodies have and just how much environmental justice in the state of Michigan is a joke, mm-hmm. is a joke. The MDEQ, which is now EGLE is essentially a rubber stamp commission, which means that if you are a corporation, um, municipalities and the state government cannot tell you no if you follow all of the steps. If you are a pipeline and you do your environmental study, it doesn't necessarily matter what that environmental study says. As long as you do it and you fill out the paperwork and you pay the fee, you can get whatever you want. Um, there's actually a, a, co- a community up in the UP um, in Menominee. Menominee is the river that borders Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula. And it is also uh, the name of the town. And there is a open sulfide mining pit company that has wanted to open up a mine uh, on the Michigan side of that river for years now. And they, not for four years, but for multiple, several years. And they chose to try and open their mine on the Michigan side because 
Wisconsin has better environmental regulations than Michigan does, especially when it comes to mining. So Michigan is, with our state laws, we're essentially the Bible Belt of the Midwest in so many things, in terms of healthcare, in terms of our assistance programs, in terms of labor rights, in terms of environmental regulations. So to answer your question, the way we start Green New Michigan is by actually creating regulatory bodies that can regulate things. We'd also have to repeal um, PA 366 of 2018, which was passed in the lame duck session. Um, we have all these packages of preemption laws, which are essentially when, um, right. Where we're like, Hey city, um, local control really matters. We love you guys. Um, you great. But just in case you were banning plastic bags, we're here to tell you that you can't. Sorry. And that, that pla- the plastic bag preemption was, um, that was the product of Dow Chemical Company, right? That was what's his face. The, there's the two brothers out of that district. Um, they're like pizza restaurant owners, but they, that was Midlands district yeah. that presented that. So, yeah. um, but they like, it's like, pe- they have pizza restaurants that, like, that have like, like Dow money. Why is it like every pizza magnate fucking sucks? Yeah. It's like a, it's like a thing. <laughs> like but, John Schneider. Like, How dare you insult Herman Cain like now that? They're like Dow people. They were like the only family in Midland that wasn't in Dow's pocket until they were and that was them right so I knew mm-hmm. like I heard that that had happened and I was like oh I wonder what preemption or what uh, district might have banned banning plastic yeah it would be Dow Chemical yeah, Dow Chemical and um, so so 366 specifically uh, they barred local communities from stopping um, any good old profit red blooded seeking corporation um, from building a pipeline or extracting materials, or basically doing anything that would create a profit in their municipality. So it robbed municipalities of local control in terms of stopping fracking and stopping mines and stopping pipelines. That's a very, uh, I mean, like, obviously this is more local, um, but like even in like the TPP, that was like a, a big part of TPP is also like the tribunal, like where, you know, like, let's say for instance, uh, you know, the United States bars um, a company from like building the uh, pipeline and that company can sue the United States for loss of profit. It's this idea that like somehow the sovereignty of, they're trying to like literally rip away the sovereignty of people. As long uh, as it benefits corporations. As long as it Absolutely. benefits corporations. And Absolutely. it's from the government or from the, from the party of small government, nonetheless, like yeah. taking away smaller governments agency. I just wanted to know um, if you had, kind of grown up with this environmental politics impulse that's sort of when I think about environmental degradation degradation in Michigan I think of where you're from first right um, that's what comes to mind the most like at one point the most Saginaw used to not be able to freeze yeah the rivers. The, you know this was at one point some of the most uh, the most the highest levels of dioxin in the world right in these rivers over there um, was that something you were aware of growing up did that if, impact your path Yes and no. So growing up in Frankenmuth, I just had a very conservative upbringing, conservative family, um, very like Trump, Trumpian, Republican. Uh, Frankenmuth is essentially a white ethno state. Mm-hmm. They they enforce their their racism. Um, so it was it was a very it's a very strange feel because there's all these people who say they're for business and for corporations, but they do have these stories growing up that unify them. My dad used to talk about the big lawsuit, you know, that Midland Dow had where, where someone internally leaked all these documents and basically said, you know, this company is poisoning people. They're throwing elections. They're, they're, they're so corrupt. Look at what they're doing. And the whole community was just collectively not surprised. Yeah. Um, and so 
yeah, I grew up with these stories and with a shoreline that that started disappearing, in, especially in Bay City. Um, I had friends, you know, we moved away from from Winona Beach Trailer Park, but I had friends who stayed there. And because of the buildup of muck and the way that the beach changed, the, the water retention was terrible. It floods all the time. Their home was rotting out from underneath them. Um, they already had chronic health problems and that just got worse and worse and worse. Um, and there's, there's, you know, consumer's energy that you can see. Uh, and there's also, you know, in the same bay that, that Midland Dow has been dumping into for a very long mm-hmm. time. Um, so it's, it's, it's strange. It's a dichotomy where, you know, I can't, I will never have the wool pulled over my eyes by these corporations, especially consumers energy. So consumers energy, actually, a couple of years ago, they got banned from spending any political money in Lansing because the state said, wow, you're doing too much. And these are the state regulatory agencies that we just complained don't do anything. So if they're saying something about it, it's really bad. And they came in and, and essentially said, consumers, you're not allowed to spend any more on lobbying and political lobbying and direct influence of elections. They got so, cut off. So, so can anybody can anybody guess what they're spending their money on now if you're if you're consumers energy what would you spend that money on to influence elections without directly buying politicians i don't know that's a good question probably like local like ordinances and stuff well Think about this. Uh, or gerrymandering. What what has like Goldman Sachs done in the last decade, and all of these big financial institutions that like caused the stock market crashing in Shell? And what what are they advertising on NPR nowadays? Oh, um, five hundred million dollars to wildlife protection in the past year. <laughs> like Google Google uh, ShellCares dot com to find out more. Like that's what Enbridge has done, right? They're like, mm, oh, we've yeah. we we've, we're certified to be the best oil pipeline ever we promise we totally didn't buy ourselves an award brought to you by kalamazoo fuck up oil spill gang <laughs> exactly so a couple c- weeks ago I, I went to the movie theater and there was a, a before the trailers there was an advertisement for for uh exxon mm-hmm. they were talking about like how like uh pro environment they are yes <laughs> like we're just it, shouting at the screen fuck off exactly <laughs> and you, so they, they tried to do it on instagram and they all had to immediately stop <laughs> because the response was so bad but consumers energy is doing the same thing. They're sponsoring all of these local events and all of these things across mid Michigan that are like, go, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, fairs. <laughs> they sponsor fairs. They sponsor all of these events and community discussions. You know, consumers energy cares. They're trying to buy local favor from people by pretending that they're in it for the community. Uh, it's just obviously they're, it's they're very dystopian. So scared, honestly. They yeah. know we're going to nationalize them. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they know we're going to come after them for, for their, their rate hikes. It's a little little tangential, but uh, Kramer, and if you guys know Kramer, is on uh, CNBC. He's like a, um, you know, economist dude, you know, like Wall Street guy. And he does uh, commentary on, on there. And he was talking about uh, fossil fuel industries. And he's like, we just, I'm done with fossil fuels. I'm done. Like, I'm, you know, I'm done. They're done. They, they've gone the way of uh, the tobacco companies. Nobody wants to invest them. The, the, the money managers just want to appease these young millennials that want nothing to do with fossil fuels. And he's just like pissed off that like fossil fuels are like tanking because, you know, as millennials, yeah, we don't want to invest in the destruction of our planet anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Millennials have killed the killing industry. <laughs> How dare they? 
Uh, you, uh, you you mentioned you wanted to talk about the auto insurance yes. legislation. Sorry, because it, it is such a great story about how politics works in Michigan. So there's a strategic side to it, and then there's just like a like an insurance, regular corruption side to it. So um, when Gretchen Whitmer came into office, one of the things she did was establish an insurance commission. Basically, um, specific legislators uh, get together and talk and hear testimony and gather data on why Michigan's insurance rates are so goddamn high. Why are they completely unaffordable? Um, so they started doing that. They started doing that research. And then sort of completely out of the blue one day, and I, th- I think it was like March or early, I think it was March of last year. Um, basically, they introduced this bill in committee, uh, in Senate committee, to um, pass auto insurance reform that was over 100 pages long. No one had seen it. No one knew what was going on. Um, I don't. I'm not on Twitter a lot, but like Lansing Twitter for for Lansing journalists is like the best way to get news uh, a lot of the times because they, you know, from their perspective, they see what's going on, what votes are happening, who's upset about what, um, and they were all very confused that this was being introduced and this this was being passed because the insurance commission had absolutely nothing to do with this bill. Where did it come from? So. They introduced this bill in committee, then it passed the committee, then, like I said, I'm pretty sure it started in the Senate, passed the Senate, um, passed the House committee, passed the House, back to the committee, and on the governor's desk in a matter of like seven, eight hours, over a hundred pages of legislation that no one had, no one had read. And you can tell how, how uninformed a lot of the legislators that defending it were because they referred to the insurance commissioner. Like I said, there's an insurance commission that's established, but there's no insurance commissioner who like looks at rates and determines if they're fair or not. Um, we have diffs, which is like a department, and we haven't had an insurance commissioner for 20 years. But if you go back and you look at the tape of the people who are talking about this, they keep referring to this insurance commissioner, a position that has not existed for two decades. <laughs> so they're obviously talking about talking points that were fed to them by someone who was also uninformed. And then, um, so clearly, this bill was written by the industry and passed in a very short amount of time. Um, almost every single Democrat voted for it. Every Republican voted for it. It was smooth sailing, no public hearing, no public testimony. Now, what was in the bill? Um, of course, uh, auto insurance rates in Michigan are the highest in the, in the nation, right? They're disgustingly high. And the Democrats said, oh, this is going to stop redlining. Except it doesn't because they wrote in like two paragraphs later, a loophole that says people can't use your zip code, but they can use your, uh, your census territory. <laughs> That's um, like one for one your zip code. That's like exactly. the same. <laughs> yes. Well, well, territories can go smaller, yeah. but they oh, can group territories together that is, into that, a zip code that line. That is just disgustingly brilliant. And they also <laughs> said, um, oh, they can't use your credit score anymore. Rah, rah, yay, Democrats. Except um, they can't use your credit score, but they can use your credit information, which is <laughs> literally everything on your credit score except for the actual score at the top itself. And like I said, it's in their bill. Like literally the next paragraph. It's not hard to figure this out. And they, and so many people, oh, this is a step forward. So why why were they standing behind this this crap bill that anybody with two brain cells to rub together could see that this is a disaster? Um, also, it mandated an average of 10% savings on the PIP portion of your bill, but they put a timeline on it. So that's why everyone's auto insurance rates have been going up because they are artificially in- inflating the rate so that they can drop them when that timeline uh-huh. hits. Yeah. Um, and then also they... Uh, 
basically the, the big thing that this did is it's going to kill auto no fault in the state of Michigan um, because they essentially said you can buy in at a percentage of coverage where it's like 10% of of the cap that you get. They capped it at 250000 If you're in an accident, they'll only pay out 250000 for that injury, which if you are hit by a car and you're a pedestrian, um, good fucking luck. Um, they also expect private insurance to pick up the slack there. Yeah, that's going to go great. Um, they're offloading a lot of the other costs then to Medicaid and Medicare. Um, and you can, you can like choose your level of coverage for your auto insurance because as you all know, you can look into a crystal ball and see what sort of insurance you're going to need in the future when the semi truck hits you two weeks from now. Um, so it's just this disastrously stupid bill. And I'm, Fairly positive that the strategy behind it was just Gretchen Whitmer wanting to wanting to sound like she was doing something to lower the cost of car, like car of having insurance. a car um, before she passed her forty five cent gas tax. And yeah, then, it's that's that's maddening. Like, because I think like on on some on some respects, I think I think you're right. Like, I think there was a, a urge to pass it. Um, one to say like that she like you know did something. I also used air quotes there, and um, yeah, it it didn't it didn't do anything. And and that's it's a, and you know also as a, a way to you know work with Republicans, you know, absolutely to try to garner good faith because of course you know everyone knows that if Democrats just work with Republicans, <laughs> Republicans will totally work we just, with Democrats. We just yes. meet them in the middle. If we just that's, meet them in the middle. Yes, which is yes <laughs> forever shifting rightward. Yeah. <laughs> and that that is. Absolutely. 10,000% what happened. Lee Chatfield gave his freaking Oscar speech on the floor of the House saying, oh, thank you so much, Democrats, for working with us. This is great. And then what they do? Uh, Mike Shirky and Lee Chatfield pulled a 2012 Obama and said, ha ha ha, just kidding. We're not working with you on the budget. Well, you thought we were going to give you what you wanted? Like, what do you think this is? And they baited her into passing into vetoing 147 items and then they already had the budget for all the billboards and all the phone calls to go out saying did you know that Gretchen Whitmer just vetoed 200 million dollars of autism funds like which which she did she did do those things she did veto 400 million dollars of of spending on roads not that that spending would have done good things because there's all these riders and things that were terrible that the republicans put in there but they basically she she just she really messed up her strategy. And if you were paying attention to the state house, you can see how frustrated a lot of legislators were uh, with her on that. But now Gretchen is just, she is, she is not doing great in the public polls in the eyes of the state of Michigan. Mm -mm. And it's, it's, they keep trying to make friends with Republicans and trying to appease them. And what happens is communities like Saginaw, communities like Lansing, Benton Harbor, Flint, Detroit, they get sold out. It's their resources that are put on the bargaining table first to appease those Republicans. Oh, you want $500 million uh, to fund, fund this Republican side project? Okay, we'll take it from these communities because guess what they're poor they're communities of color what are they going to do vote republican no so guess what they're expendable yeah that's 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 i mean you saw that in the the way that uh, the administration handled benton harbor like very much so yeah I, I personally spoke out against benton harbor because it was it was they were using emergency manager rules which gretchen Whitmer said she was going to overturn she came to flint and promised again and again and again she's going to get rid of those and then she used those emergency manager rules to try and shut down benton harbor schools mm-hmm it's just and, and and once again it goes back to that idea like and these democrats wonder why people don't want to turn out for them to knock doors to vote to do any of that stuff 
they're not being represented. And, you know, when they say, you know, it doesn't, my vote doesn't matter, you know, when, for the, for the politicians that they've been electing, they're not wrong. These I mean, literally like these, these Democrats have dissolved their democratically elected, um, like bodies. That's the emergency financial manager sort of situation does is you voted for this person to run your city. And we're gonna take them out. So like they literally have. Their yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna put a king. We're gonna put a king <laughs> in yeah. there that makes all financial decisions is completely unaccountable. And um, they're surprised that Flint had dirty water. Um, and the phrase that I hear from people in Saginaw, especially on the east side, when I door knock, is um, I hear there's a lot where people say specifically, um, you know, I would vote, but I've got too many knives sticking out of my back. I've had too many people, you know, betray me and betray this city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which you're right those people that's that's not coming from a place of of apathy or stupidity or ignorance it's betrayal it's betrayal and building trust is very difficult but it's what i'm trying to do with my campaign hitting as many doors as possible people seeing me out in the middle of the january in a blizzard um to talk to them about what they care about and listening genuinely listening um, is 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 hopefully what's going to bring bring out more people in Saginaw to build trust. So, if any of our listeners wanted to donate or volunteer, where would they where would they go to find those so, opportunities? So, my website where you can pretty much find everything from is Hammond4Rep.com. Uh, Hammond H A M M O N D four number four Rep R E P dot com. Um, I also am I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. My Facebook is probably the most active because everything's linked up to that account. But especially door knockers, we need door knockers if you're willing to come out to Saginaw. I'm door knocking, like I said, almost every single day from three to six p.m. Um, uh, message me to find out where I'm going to be that particular day, but also donations because uh, a lot of these institutions in Saginaw that that churn this wheel of of money going towards corporations and towards businesses that have a certain clientele and aesthetic, um, they're scared of me. They know who I am, and they don't want me to win this race. So they're 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 putting their money together to pull them towards the more corporate and establishment Democrats. So we need to outraise those people. We need to make sure that they're not able to buy another election. Can I ask you a tough question on that issue? Absolutely, this is my t- tough question I've been thinking about. So I talked to um, like a, fr- a friend of the pod, Ross, who's our our favorite political strategist. I think you might sort of know Ross. Ross uh, Fisher. Yeah, he won. He won Brandon Betts's campaign. I was asking him about you because he knows all politicians in the world. And um, he was describing your um, opponent in this race to me, um, you know, who is a, I don't really know, what is his name? Who are you Which running one? against? Uh, your, the, the incumbent, right? Yeah, the, the no, incumbent. No, not, not the incumbent. Uh, no the the no. person. Amos O'Neill? Uh, the county commissioner? Right? Um, no. So who is the Democrat running against you? I can't remember the there's name. There's Brandel Adams. Yeah, that one, right? There's is, Amos O'Neill. It, okay, so there's two. Yeah. Is Adams the one who is like your toughest competition? No. Okay, so that's interesting because Ross believed that he was kind of, Adams was like a pretty like centrist Democrat, right? Like establishment yeah. de- Democrat. Yeah. But he's also a black man, right? Is that correct? Yes. So I guess what we were thinking about is what, you know, do you think people trust you as a sort of suburban white girl? And you're young. Oh, yeah. You're no, that's, young, right? that's a thing, right? The the little white girl from Frank. Yeah. Mouth. Yeah. What that, do people think? What so, do you say to that, I guess? So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people who, who see that when they see me. Um, all I have to do is talk to them for more than two minutes because I get, obviously I get very angry and I get very animated. Um, I've done a lot of hardcore activism. We, we took two buses to Lansing and shut down the state legislative session when they took away Flint's bottled water because 
I care about these issues and I care about this community. So, but there, there are a lot of people who will just say, you know, I don't feel comfortable voting for someone who I don't think represents my race or my ethnicity. And I get that. And if that's the choice you have to make, that's okay. Um, But what I'm trying to do is build trust on my record of advocacy and activism and the language that I use to describe the issues going on, because you can Mm -hmm. bet that these more establishment Democrats are not going to call out next year. They're getting donations from next year. They're not going to call out Midland Down consumers. They're getting their donations from those people. They're not going to call out segregation in the city. They're not going to call out the gentrification in the city because they be- sometimes they- sometimes they believe those things, but more often than not, they're just willing to accept money from those from from wherever it's going to come from, and they're willing to keep the status quo because they're the ones benefiting from it. Um, so so I'm hoping that the message can overcome that sort of general distrust. Uh, but it is something that that I'm going to have to work against because the image is there. I'm yeah. like the whitest white girl. If you've never seen me before, like <laughs> it's not like I'm not cool. You look a little all. from Frankenmuth. That's, yeah, that's true. my friend, my friend from Flint used to call me like chicken fingers <laughs> from Frankenmuth. Um, but but, um, you know, I, I I earned their trust by showing up again and again and again. And it's the investment. Right. So like, the, yes, the bigger question, not just your race, but it's, you know, are you really from here? Is this your community? But like, mm-hmm. that's the work that you have to put in. Yeah, my, my people are the people who can't afford health insurance. I don't have health insurance. My people you are the people lead with who that. Are, yeah, my people are the people who are trying to. But but I also don't want to you know lean into the thing where like I know what it's like to be yeah, you yeah, because I true. have struggles. Um, but because because former bartender, sorry, no offense, <laughs> no offense. <laughs> it's, it's 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 a difficult it's a difficult narrative to try to combat. Um, but every single person who I've talked to at the doors. Uh, for more than two minutes, every single person doesn't matter if they're like a one t- like sort of independent Republican mm-hmm. or they've been voting Democrat their entire life. Doesn't matter if they are just checked out. Like I said, checked out. They're homeless. They're a sex worker, and they've shared their stories with me. If I can talk to those people for more than two minutes and describe my platform, um, they either say, you know, I'm voting for you, or you know, I agree with what you said, or thank you mm-hmm. for saying those things because. People usually people that the thing about in in a community where there's so much distrust, they'll say something like, you know, you should watch your back because people like you don't last long. Yeah. That's how they that's how they sort of express that sometimes when there's mm-hmm. not a lot of trust or faith in the system. Um, but they people still just want that connection and they want that validation. Doesn't sound like a lot of people are knocking doors in Saginaw. Most of the people I door knock said they've never had their door knocked yep. in their lives. Yep. Oh yeah, I can believe that one hundred percent. Because also, like, it's a it's a only primary district basically. Like, whoever yeah. wins the Democratic primary yep. will be the the candidate for Which that. Which is district. on August fourth. Um, so I, you know, there's a lot of like candidates that just kind of like take it for granted. Basically, it's, yeah, it's it's one of those districts where like the person who's been there the longest sort of just rolls over. Mm-hmm. And becomes the new nominee, and everybody in the party gets behind them because unity. Is uh, mm-hmm. I had a question. Uh, is is uh, Vanessa Guerra uh, endorsing in this primary? Or she's staying. No, out? she's running for county clerk, so okay. she's not endorsing anybody. Oh, that's good. Well, we are uh, reaching the end of our time here, uh, Carly. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, just to, just to remind everyone, you can find more information at Hammond Four Number Four Rep dot com. You can also find uh, Carly on uh, on social media, particularly Facebook. Uh, before we go, though, um, as we're taping this, it's uh, Sunday, February 2nd, and uh, the Iowa caucuses are tomorrow. Uh, we're, uh, we're getting hyped up for our boy, 
for our boy Bernard. Uh, I was wondering uh, if we could get your thoughts on what's happening tomorrow, Carly. I have so many memes in my folder right now that I'm waiting to post when Bernie wins the caucus. <laughs> I have one that's like from Mean Girls where they're like, they're like, get in loser. And it's had like Bernie on the side oh, and it's yeah, like yeah. me to all the establishment Democrats, like after the <laughs> Iowa caucus, like get in loser, like you're getting on this bandwagon or not. So I, I'm actually get really on the train or get run over. I know I, I'm terrified. I'm, I'm, I'm so terrified because I think people are just scared to hope. They're scared to hope this time around. And that's why a lot of us were sort of like toying with Elizabeth Warren mm -hmm. until she dropped Medicare for all. And then we dropped her. Um, and it, it's, it's, I, I really want to believe, but I haven't had, I haven't had the hope yet to, but once those results come out, especially if he crushes it, mm -hmm. he's going to, which I, I really hope he will. Then I will, you know, I, I'll feel, I, I will feel so happy um one of i am concerned about bloomberg in the future um and how much he's buying communities like saginaw and flint right now um with his with his strategy uh i had two women uh who were both on social security disability uh what that was their only source of income tell me that bloomberg gets it and i'm yeah, voting for I, he's bloomberg. dropping a ridiculous amount of money in uh states he's, where he's already other... spent over 200 million dollars of his own a uh, quarter billion now actually really yes he's reached the quarter billion dollar mark holy how much shit. does he got left uh, he's uh he's i mean he's he's worth 52 billion dollars <gasps> so i mean he's got a lot fucking left um but he's just yeah he's doing focus tested ads and he's just dropping them at ridiculous rates like two to three an hour I've in some places i've not seen a single bloomberg ad Am I just not targeted? You, you know, you will start to see them. I was, uh, I was, I was at the bar with uh, Joe a couple weeks ago, and I was talking about like, yeah, I, I, I haven't gotten any Bloomberg ads. I don't know, guys, what you, what the fuck you guys are talking about. Literally, the next day, I started getting them on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, I get Bloomberg ads quite frequently. I get Tom Steyer ads frequently. He has, a, he has a campaign office in Flint, and he's already hired half a dozen organizers, uh, Bloomberg field organizers on the ground. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what? and it's hard to say no he when doing? he's he's paying seventy two thousand dollars a year for field organizers and yeah. a free iPhone and laptop. Right off the bat, right? And they're yeah. paid through November no matter what. It's like what. basically the same as a census job at this point. You just get a temporary job. Better than a census job. A, a boring yeah, temporary than, job. Yeah, better than a census job. On. Weren't we playing with the idea of uh, of getting hired as a field organizer and then just not doing the job? Yeah, or just like canvassing <laughs> for Bernie basically yeah, as, a, yeah. as a Bloomberg organizer. That'd be hilarious. But like one of the things that I think is going to be a good predictor of where Bloomberg does well is where Shree did well. Um, Shree won quite a few precincts in my district. Because, like, it's just like, it's like, um, like when you, like you said, you know, you're talking about this like neighborhood where, you know, for the, this is people's, uh, getting knocked on their door for the first time. Yes. So like if they're not getting door knocks, the only other information they're getting is advertisements. So the people that can dump massive amounts of money like Sheree or like Bloomberg are the only people that are getting their message across. Or send people. someone to their door from their neighborhood because they hired them. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. it's not, it's not a bad organizing model. You know, I honestly, I wish that, um, other campaigns could do the same thing where, you know, someone from that community talking to that community about why they care about this candidate. But unfortunately, in this case, it's completely disingenuous. He's trying to buy an election, uh, that he thinks he can with his, with his billionaire money. So I, I think that it'd be it'd be nice to look at some of these strategies and say, wow, shouldn't we do this more like pay organizers really well for the job that they do? Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, the reality is right now is that like when, you know, candidates 
you know, all other candidates right now, except for Steyer and, and Bloomberg, are focused zeroing on these districts that are first because they're such a big predictor on the outcome of the election. And it's, it's, you know, we feel left out in Saginaw. There's a Trump campaign office and in, in Saginaw and there's, there's no other offices right now. I bet Bloomberg's going to go up sometime next week or sometime after that. And so who's, it, it's like, well, who's investing the community? That's what they're going to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it, it's frustrating and it's demoralizing. Um, but I, I hope that when, you know, Bernie Sanders wins the Iowa caucus and gains momentum that we have more of a feeling of, Dare I say unity? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really don't want the guy that endorsed George Bush at the 2004 convention to be our nominee. Yeah, <laughs> That'd have, be fucking have you terrible. officially endorsed Bernard Sanders for president of the United States? Oh my gosh! Um, honestly, I I don't think I have. Like, I haven't issued. I know there's like an official graphic that you can. I feel kind of facetious doing that as like a candidate, <laughs> like just being like candidate for state <laughs> representative endorses Bernie Sanders as president. But I, I've publicly stated so many times that I am for Bernie Sanders. Um, and I have like AOC and me as my profile picture. So I don't think I don't know where the confusion would come from. I've got Medicare for all in Green New Michigan on my on my platform. So I I I don't know if, if if y'all think I should do it. I'll do it though because I definitely want to do that before the bandwagon of establishment Democrats comes around and says, "Oh, we were with him the whole time." <laughs> don't you remember when we tried to, you know, have like steal the election from Bernie Sanders? No. Okay, good. Well, uh, they're definitely going to be trying it this time. They're they're going to find some way to rat fuck us, but uh, they're going to try. But yeah. uh, I I honestly don't think they're going to be able to this time. I think the power is just too fucking strong. It's gonna be great. Forty-five I, billion I, strong, I've, huh? Forty-five billion strong. Stronger. Uh, I think. Um, I mean, I've watched like Iowa politics. I mean, I grew up there. Well, I grew up there, I guess. But I was, I was there for a minute. I lived there, and so I, I watch Iowa politics a lot. And I, I was nervous about uh, Bernie's strength in, in 2016 in Iowa, honestly. And I was uh, just because of the fact that I knew where he was getting support. He was getting support uh, largely in like the rural areas of Iowa, which is important. Um, but like, if you want to win Iowa, you have to win like the college towns that are on the Eastern side. You have to win Polk County where 50% of the delegates come from. And you have to do at least marginally well in, uh, Northwest Iowa by Sioux city. And he was able to get within two tenths of a victory because he was able to compete in those East Iowa towns where in the university centers, he did terrible in Polk, um, which is probably honestly why he lost last time and he did okay in the northwest area but uh you look at the polls this time and you know i obviously gotta take polls uh with a grain of salt but he's doing extremely well in all three of those areas and um especially polk his increase, i heard a lot about polk this time around his increase in polk is, is 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 it gives me the chills just thinking about it because i mean that's where you have to do well in order to win iowa it's it's, it's uh, in large part due to his uh, growing support amongst um, people of color because uh, Des Moines is where uh, pretty much almost every person of color in Iowa lives almost. So. Well, things are looking good. We're going to dare to hope. I think uh, it's a hell as, of a drug. As, as Zach has said, it's a hell of a drug. Um, but uh, I mean, by by the time you're listening, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, hopefully uh uh, Bernard will have will have won the Iowa caucus, uh, but anyway, that's that's gonna do it for us this week. Uh, thanks for thanks for listening to this week's episode, and once again, thanks for being here, Carly. Thank you. I'm super stoked. Let's go, Iowa. Yeah, let's go. 
All right, we'll see you guys. Uh, I don't know. We're doing a bonus episode this week. Yeah, right? catch us to catch up on the Iowa results, and we'll be uh, discussing that. And yeah. uh, it'll be great. So yeah. don't miss that. Yep. So in the middle of this week, and then next weekend. See you guys later.